This is the From Want to Hunt podcast, where we give you the information to take you from want to hunt. Thank you for listening to the From Want to Hunt podcast. This is episode two, titled Getting Started, and I'm your host, David Mefford. In the last episode, we talked about why to hunt, and if you decided that you do want to hunt, this episode will cover the basics of what you need to do to get started hunting. My method for getting started is different from what some people may say you need to get started, but my method keeps budget and opportunity in mind. If you've ever asked anyone, either online or in person, how to get started hunting, most everyone will tell you to take a hunter's education course first. I fully agree with this. If you've decided you want to get into hunting before you go out and start spending money on gear, you should take a hunter's education class not just because of the information you get, but because it's required pretty much everywhere. The classes differ by where you take it, but you should expect to learn a lot about the basics of hunting safety, legality, and ethics. Some places may have different classes for rifle and archery hunter safety, uh, but the class I took did cover both. You'll learn how to properly and safely handle your weapon, both while practicing and in the field, uh, and as long as you're taking the class in the same state or region you plan to hunt, you're likely going to learn what is and isn't allowed while in the field, what animals are legal to harvest, and how to make an ethical shot. You may also learn basic first aid, how to track an animal, and tree stand safety at the class. The best part of taking it is that the in-person ones are normally free or very inexpensive, and the online ones aren't bad either, usually $30 or less. Uh, most places offer some or all of the class as an online course. Uh, since I grew up hunting, uh, well, in a hunting family rather, not hunting myself, uh, and shooting firearms, I took what my state offered online, but I still had to show up to a half-day course to prove I could safely handle a firearm, and they also did tree stand safety and animal tracking at the in-person class. If you have a background in handling firearms or have some exposure to hunting, the online course should be fine. If you're entirely new to hunting, weapons, or the outdoors, I personally would suggest doing the entire class in person. Being there in person gives you more hands-on experience with things that are new to you, as well as giving you the opportunity to ask any questions that come up as you're learning the material. To find a class, the website for your region's Fish and Wildlife or Department of Natural Resources should have a schedule as well as a way to sign up. If you're listening to this to prepare for a hunt that someone is taking you on and very soon and you don't have the opportunity to take a class before the hunt, some states offer a one-year exemption to the education. Uh, they may call it an apprenticeship program as well. If this is your case, be sure to file for and get that exemption before you go out just to make sure you are legal. Uh, usually there are stipulations on that as well. Uh, where I live, if you have the exemption, you have to be accompanied by a hunter that has completed the hunter's education class. And that hunter has to always be close enough to you to be able to take control of your weapon should any unsafe, illegal, or uh, unethical situations arise. You should know going into this that taking hunter's education is a large portion of time, usually a full eight hours on a Saturday, but the information you'll get is very valuable. Most states require you to take the class once in your life, so once you've done it, you don't have to worry about it again. Each year you just buy your tags and license for what you want to hunt and get out in the field. Once you have your hunter's education taken care of, I'd suggest finding a mentor if possible. Uh, outside of this podcast or other online resources, a face-to-face -face mentor can be a great asset. Someone local to you likely has great insight and experience with hunting where you live. They can be someone to tell you about their experiences, and you can bounce questions off of them to get more information about hunting and the outdoors. I do want to say 
don't waste your mentor's time if you ask them to help you scout areas or if they offer to take you to the range to shoot or any number of other things. Don't commit to doing something with them if you aren't 100% sure you can make it. You don't want to burn a resource that you may very well need down the road. Also, don't beg your mentor to take you hunting, borrow their gear, or anything else. The main goal of your mentor is to be someone you can talk to about getting into hunting, talk to them about hunts you've gone on, and to get information from them. You should be prepared to have your own gear, your own place to hunt. Uh, if your mentor offers to let you borrow anything or to take you on a hunt, be grateful. Uh, and if they do take you hunting, be sure to follow all of their instructions as long as they're legal and safe instructions. If you don't have anyone to be a mentor for you locally, it's not the end of the world. There are online resources to help you get the information. A quick Google search will give you thousands of results. Although it may not be specific to your exact area, you may be able to apply it to your hunting knowledge. You should look for a forum or website dedicated to discussing hunting in your region if possible. National websites for discussion can be great, but you may get wrong or unhelpful information. If your state has laws against baiting, uh, which is putting food out for animals, and people are talking about how to effectively place corn to attract deer, that's not going to help you at all. Uh, with a more local forum, people will be talking about the actual season dates that you can hunt, talking about hunting with the laws set by where you hunt and any upcoming changes to those laws, and you can even see people talking about how any upcoming weather is going to affect their hunting strategies. Outside of just discussion boards for hunting, YouTube can be a great resource. You can search for videos of people hunting what you want to hunt close to you. If you want to see someone bow hunting deer in Kentucky, you can just search YouTube for bow hunting deer in Kentucky or something similar to that. Videos aren't as good as hands-on experience, but you can get a real-world visual of what goes on before, while preparing for, and after taking a shot. You can see what mistakes people make or what they're doing that you may not have thought to do. While you are gaining your knowledge, either from a mentor or online, you can start buying your own gear. Um, we're not going to discuss weapons in this episode, uh, well we do touch a little bit at the end, but there will be a whole episode dedicated to that, but in this episode we get into hunting apparel. Some people don't wear any camouflage, while some people may spend $300 or more on just a pair of pants. Uh, the first set of people argue humans have hunted for eons without camo and that it's not needed. While it's true that it's not 100% necessary, it is a great help to new hunters. Camo breaks up your outline to make the animals you're hunting less likely to see you. It helps you hide small movements you make, because you can be mistaken for something moving in the breeze instead of being seen as a predator. Another great reason to have camo, whether you believe in using it or not, is that if you do have a mentor willing to take you hunting, it may make it more likely for them to take you out if you have camouflage instead of just jeans and a t-shirt. You don't have to break the bank to get camo. If you have the money for some more expensive gear, by all means, buy what you can comfortably afford. If you have more money, there are uh, some matching layering systems you can buy. Some companies advertise gear that do things like lock in your scent so animals can't smell you. Spending more can get you gear that could last longer and be better quality. Uh, and there are numerous camouflage systems on the market. I'm not going to cover anything here specifically because something new comes out every year. Uh, but just if you're on a budget, though, there's no reason you can't buy camouflage. I personally hunt with camo I bought from a major retail store, uh, one that's probably less than an hour from you if you live in the United States that advertises there are always low prices that they like to roll back. I spent $20 on my pants, $20 on my winter jacket, $5 on a long sleeve shirt, and $5 on a face mask. The face mask was more for turkey hunting, but I do wear it for deer hunting as well, although I don't believe it's necessary at all for deer. 
Uh, for $50, you could be ready to get out in the woods and full camouflage without totally breaking the bank. While more expensive camo can have its benefits, such as being warmer, quieter, claim to have the scent prevention, I wouldn't spend the money on it unless or until you decide the more expensive gear has what you want to offer and it's worth that price. Uh, that $50 price tag might still be steep for you though. If it is, a less expensive way to get camo could be to check yard sales, Craigslist, or thrift shops like Goodwill. Lots of people sell gear they no longer fit in or they're getting out of hunting. It's a great way to get started on a budget. It'll take time to get the gear you need that way though, as uh, you have to do searching to find it, but the cost savings could be worth your time to do that. Another thing to consider that may help you if you're on a budget is buying camo that's too big. If you're going to be hunting in places that it's cold, uh, if you buy camo that's too big, you can layer warmer clothes you already have underneath and put the camouflage on top. Uh, your wallet will thank you if you do that, and later if you want to invest in a more expensive or fancier layering system, you can do that. Once you have the camouflage covered, uh, you also want to purchase Hunter's Orange gear, uh, especially if you're going to be hunting in a, during a season or in a location where that's required. You should learn in your Hunter's Education class what the requirements are for orange clothing, but if you want to get started before your class buying it, you should be able to find it online directly from your state or region. For me, I spent $5 on an orange vest and $3 on a hat to fulfill the requirements of where I hunt, and I only have to wear those during firearm seasons. During bow and crossbow seasons, I can just wear the camo, uh, but that might be different for where you hunt. Even though it should be covered in your hunter's education class to some extent, it's always a good idea to keep up to date with current rules, regulations, and season dates for where you hunt. Some states publish a printed copy that you can request from them at the beginning of each season, or you can even pick it up sometimes from a place where you can purchase your hunting license. I also believe every state in the United States publishes them online for quick reference as well. In my opinion, after knowing what is legal to harvest, the most important thing to know are the season dates. If you know when you are able to pursue the animal you want, you can start planning in advance if you want to travel somewhere to hunt or if you need to take time off work. Uh, another great thing to look out for is what seasons overlap as well. Uh, again, I'm going to use Kentucky as an example since that's where I hunt. You could be on public land bow hunting for deer, but at the same time, someone else could be using a firearm to hunt for squirrel. Knowing this, you might choose to wear your hunter's orange on public land, even if the laws don't require it for that season. Something else to keep in mind when looking over season dates is hunting zones, or as some areas call them, game management units. You may have different hunting dates, bag limits, or weapons allowed in different zones or units. All of these will be listed by your local wildlife management agency. Some places also require you to buy tags for each zone or management unit that you could choose to hunt. Sometimes you can walk into a place, uh, like a just a general hunting store, and buy the tags you want. But sometimes you have to do what's called a lottery. This means you apply for the tag to hunt the animal, the state draws names, and if you get chosen, you can buy your tag and then be able to hunt. If there's a lottery, it usually means the population of the animal is not big enough for everyone that wants to hunt to go in and attempt to kill an animal. Your local wildlife agency is most likely using this lottery to make sure that enough animals are left at the end of the season to keep up genetic diversity and maintain a healthy population. So even if there are more than enough animals for everyone to go in and bag one, it may not be good for the population if the lottery wasn't in place. Alright, so we've covered the legalese of hunting for a bit now. Maybe I can grab your attention with something you might find interesting. Choosing what you want to hunt. I know I've spoken a lot about deer, 
Uh, it's not only because it's the main thing I hunt for, but I'm also recording this episode during deer season for me. Uh, don't think this is going to be another podcast dedicated to hunting deer, because I want to help everyone get out there and hunt the things they want to hunt. You don't have to just pick one thing that you want to hunt. If you want to hunt squirrel only, then by all means go for it. If you want to hunt everything you possibly can, you can do that as well. Once you pick what you want to hunt, you can start putting together more of the pieces that let you get from want to hunt. Usually hunting multiple things requires purchasing multiple tags or licenses, but some states lump together things like small game, like rabbits, squirrels, and raccoons into one license. When you know what you're going after, you can budget for the license purchase, set the money aside if you need to save up for it. Um, Different animals also require different weapons for the most part, or even different ammunition for the same weapon. You aren't going to use a 308 rifle to hunt squirrels if you want to have something left over to eat. And most, if not every state, has regulations against going out and attempting to harvest a deer with a 22 rifle. If you're really on a budget, there are some good all-around weapons you can use uh, for multiple type of game, like a shotgun or a bow. I'll be getting into more weapon information in future episodes, but this is something to have in mind as you're choosing what you want to hunt. If you have any questions, comments, or anything you want to hear covered on an episode, please reach out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find me under the name From Want to Hunt, all one word. You can also email me. The address is fromwanttohunt at gmail.com. Before I close out, I did want to give credit for the music in the intro. The track is Eyes Gone Wrong by Kevin McLeod. His website is incompetech.com. The track is used and licensed under the Creative Commons license by Attribution 3.0. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to posting my next podcast where I'll be discussing how to find places to hunt.